Cyber Sermon 6, Sunday the 26th of April. Teach us how to pray. The following are the readings which form the basis of the sermon. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 13, and Luke 11, verses 1 to 4. Along with others from the church, I attended the most recent session of the Whole Life Discipleship course, which was entitled Praying for the Frontline. Although I really struggle with the use of the word frontline, it is not half as bad as my struggle with praying. I'm not a good prayer. I would describe myself as a lazy prayer. Wrong time, wrong place, wrong energy levels. I always needed a structure, something to organise my prayer around. The Anglican tradition provided me with a structure. Acts, A-C-T-S. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving and supplication. Even with this framework, it simply supported my laziness and convinced me I was doing the right thing. The course opened my ears and my eyes to a new way of praying and, not surprisingly, that way goes back to Jesus' teaching. So today we have read the two gospel readings where Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. What is strange about this is that the Jewish tradition has an incredibly strong prayer discipline, both through the Psalms and their many daily ritual prayers. And throughout their history, their prayer is shown to have had immense power. So why did the disciples ask Jesus how to pray? His prayer life was obviously different to that which they had witnessed in the writings, in the synagogue, and in their own daily devotions. Perhaps they had recognised the laziness of the form of prayer they were used to. The Lord's Prayer is the answer, because it is what Jesus has taught us to pray. It, of course, may also be the problem, because we so often say it without thought. We almost sleep through it in church on Sunday because we are so used to using it in our ritual. The Course shed a whole new light on this prayer and I would like to share this with you. I cannot claim the ideas I'm going to introduce but I can commend them to you. Let's begin at the beginning. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Simple enough. But what is the prayer in this? Our prayer is that we become connected to God and remind ourselves that he is a father to us. It focuses our thoughts on the fact that we are praying about doing our father's business. What does that mean? 
it means that we should be looking out for and recognising the opportunities we have every day to serve God and that we must think big and small. How do I serve God in the street where I live? At the golf club? When I'm driving my car? Would God be proud of me in all those situations? If not, why not? And if so, pray on. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. This is for me the most radical part of the prayer. Here we are praying for system change. We are praying that all the structures which exist are shattered and replaced with ones that make earth into heaven. Have you ever thought how big a prayer that actually is? On an individual level, it's asking us how we engage with the rest of the world as a Christian. When do we stand up and challenge those things that exist in the world, which are clearly not as God would want? Homelessness, injustice, poverty, the powerful bullying the weak. It might look okay to the casual observer if we are seen giving money to a good cause, volunteering to work with those less fortunate than ourselves, and so on. But how does that fit with how we look after our ageing relatives, our own children? How does that fit when our pensions are invested in arms manufacturers? How does it fit when we get on a plane and fly halfway round the world for a holiday? How does it fit when we give a funny look to a group of youths loitering on the street in Croydon. I hope that you are beginning to see we shouldn't just be casual in just mouthing these very special words. Give us today our daily bread. Here we are praying that today's needs are met. And if we're not careful, this becomes an opportunity to think that other people seem to have had their needs met better than our own and that these needs purely reside in a material sense. Our needs are social and spiritual as well as economic. This is a particularly crucial part of the prayer when you consider today's circumstances with all that we are experiencing at the moment. In assessing our own needs, we should really include the question, how can we be more helpful to others? The prayer actually says, give us. This is a prayer for the community. We are not actually praying, give me my daily bread. So when we pray this, we should also be asking ourselves what people expect of us and what do we expect of them to make sure that our daily needs are met. This is not about comfort eating. Here is where this prayer meets supplication. Here is our chance to pray for the world. 
forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Here we are praying about yesterday's mistakes, all our yesterdays, as some of our mistakes may take a long time to come to the surface, or at least for us to recognise them. Probably the biggest concern in this is actually identifying those people we need to forgive. If we just pause here for a moment, can we think of anyone we need to forgive? Having done that, how then will you go about the act of forgiveness in such a way that it doesn't actually make things worse? Forgiving is a powerful thing and of course the forgiver carries all the power in that relationship. It is probably far easier to identify those from whom we should ask forgiveness. Who do we need to say sorry to? How should we say sorry to them? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Here we are praying about our future, our future walk with God and our future work for God. This is facing up to the things which take us away from what we prayed way back when we started to recognise God as our Father, whom we honour. We cannot honour him if we fall into temptation. What then are the temptations we are likely to fall into? They will be different for all of us. But if we can name them, if we can speak them out loud, then that is the beginning of ridding ourselves of them. Naming them out loud is pretty essential. If we keep them hidden, we are not really facing up to them. One of the most successful anti-addiction organisations is the AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. I understand when you introduce yourself, you have to admit and speak out loud what you are. And this is seen as the crucial first step in altering behaviour and managing temptation. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Perhaps this is the most lyrical and most beautiful part of the prayer. At last we are praying glory to God. As with all our prayers so far, it is no good just saying it. You have to live it. Most real prayer involves action. And this, of all prayers, requires more action than most. How can we do everyday things, our everyday tasks, in a way that glorifies God? What does a real commitment to God's kingdom look like 
when I am in a queue at the supermarket or when somebody pulls out in front of us when we are driving or when I shank my drive out of bounds on the 18th at Cromehurst or simply when we are at work or at home. We don't have to say this prayer every day. We have to live it every day. However, saying it every day is a good reminder of how we should live. So, if you were to stop and think seriously after every clause in this prayer, how long do you think it would take you to pray the Lord's Prayer? If you were just to say it, how long do you think it would take? It took me a calm 34 seconds. When Jesus said to his disciples, this is how to pray, he meant it. He didn't say, add the Shema or put the grace in at the end. I think he really meant it. If you seriously pray this, that is all you need to do. At this time of great trial, with all that time on our hands, there is no better opportunity than this to take ourselves off to a quiet place and pray this for all of its great worth. Amen. Prayers. Today there is a Teze response which you may like to sing. Loving God, we thank you for what has gone before us in our lives, for what has shaped us and for what has made us into the people we are now. Some of the things we have experienced have left us with scars and pain. Some things have strengthened our resolve and some have given us great joy. We know that you have walked with us on our path through our complex and varied lives. We thank you for guiding and protecting us. We ask you to help us to forgive those who have hurt or offended us, so that in turn we may receive your forgiveness. We pray for your love and hope at this very difficult time. For some, lockdown is bringing severe distress. Help us to encourage those who are lonely and suffering, even if we are suffering ourselves. Our lives are simplified and we thank you for new perspectives. We thank you for our daily food and for the kindness and hard work of so many people who are ensuring that we don't go hungry. Help us to use our time well 
and to take time to reflect and pray. We pray especially for those who are mourning or who have relatives alone in hospital. Comfort them with your love that passes all understanding. God of the past, present and future, we look ahead and wonder how this situation will end. There will undoubtedly be more suffering, so we pray that you will make us a light in the darkness. Give encouragement and stamina to medical staff, care workers and all who are working in public because their jobs are essential. We pray for their protection. Give the scientists who are working hard to find an end to the spread of the virus the wisdom and facilities they need. We thank you for the generosity of individuals who have given of their time, money and effort to help. As we look to the future, we remember the words of Minnie Louise Haskins. Go out into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God. That shall be to you a better light and safer than a known way. Oh.